Hi, I'm Trent Brown, and you're listening to the Afternoon Adda at the Australia India Institute. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Divya Nambiar about the Government of India's plans to provide skills training to 400 million workers by 2022. Divya received her doctorate in development studies from the University of Oxford. Her thesis focused on how skill development in India relates to youth aspirations. She now works as a senior consultant in the Ministry of Skill Development and Entrepreneurship of the Government of India, where she's involved in the design of the national skills policies and programs. And we should just flag before we get started that although Divya works for the Government of India, the views that she expresses in the podcast today are drawn more from her personal experience as a researcher and don't necessarily reflect the views of the government. So with that introduction out of the way, Divya, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Trent. It's a pleasure to be here today. Okay, so if we can just get right into it, why is vocational training and skill development such a high priority for the government at this particular moment in history? Skill development has been a policy priority for the government of India for the past six or seven years or so. And in the past two years, it's been an incredibly important policy priority for multiple reasons. The first is demographic. 54% of the Indian population is under 35 years of age. Um, there's a feeling that we need to realize the, the potential of this percentage of the population to ensure they're gainfully em- employed. And we often use the term demographic dividend uh, to characterize this moment in history. And we feel that we do need to do everything we can to realize the potential of this youth, to realize India's demographic dividend, which will only last, according to a number of scholars, for another 20 years or so. Mm. So what exactly do we mean by that term, the demographic dividend? The term demographic dividend is used to highlight the potential of this young population. The idea that this young population is a valuable asset for India, but it, it becomes an asset only when you harness their potential by providing them the skills, education, training and knowledge so that they can compete globally and contribute to India's growth. Skill India is about doing precisely that. I see. And, and you mentioned another reason why, why it's relevant right now? It, it's also relevant for another reason, which is that India's workplaces are changing at a very rapid rate. New kinds of workplaces are emerging, new kinds of jobs or new kinds of industries, the economy is growing. In this context, you need workers who are equipped with the qualifications that industry requires. Industry is complaining of a huge short, shortage of skilled workers. So Skill India is about connecting the demand of industry for skilled workers with the skills of young people and their aspirations so that young people are gainfully employed. So the government set itself some very ambitious targets in skill development. As I said in the introduction, some 400 million workers by 2022. Um, could you give our listeners a bit of an overview of what exactly the government is trying to achieve? The government is trying to achieve a great deal in a very short period of time, I think. Um, There are a number of new initiatives that the government of India has launched, the very first being the creation of India's first Ministry of Skill Development and Entrepreneurship, which was created in November 2014 to precisely scale up skill training efforts across the country. The government of India's approach to skill training has been two-pronged. 
The first is focused on creating a robust policy framework for skill development and entrepreneurship through the establishment of the National Policy for Skill Development and Entrepreneurship, which was created in 2015, and the National Skill Development Mission to converge and, and co ensure coherence in the skill training ecosystem. But apart from the policy framework, the government has in parallel demonstrated that there's a huge program of action that is needed to supplement policy. And this program of action has seen, is translated into the expansion of capacity of training institutes, increasing seats in ITI, scaling up institutes, setting up new centers for excellence, scaling up apprenticeship training programs, and ensuring better industry linkages, and training people at the highest quality standards by aligning our standards and qualifications with global standards so that our youth, youth can be employable both in India and overseas. A number of efforts have been taken in all these areas. Okay, well, that's some of the challenges, but what do you think have been the main achievements of the government so far? Yes, I think, just to give you a quick background, as I mentioned, there's not been very much done in the vocational training and education space in the independent, the post-independence era. So I would say it was possibly from 2007-2008 that the private sector skills ecosystem was catalyzed at such a large rate. So I would argue that there have been multiple achievements at multiple levels. The first set of achievements in the past two, two and a half years has been on the, the policy front. There's been a consolidation of, of the policy framework for skill development and entrepreneurship in India. This has happened firstly by the creation of a separate ministry for skill development and entrepreneurship. In the past, there were about 24 union ministries running separate skill training programs at differing norms, standards, time periods, rules, regulations, different certifications and assessment systems. All that has, has gone and now there's one coherent system in place. I feel that is a big achievement, which will, and we'll see the impact of that in the long term. Mm. The second big uh, achievement is we've translated this national policy for skill development and entrepreneurship, which outlines a policy framework, into a very coherent program of action. There's a national mission for skill development and entrepreneurship, which, which is driving skill development across the country. It creates a framework for converging skill training programs between centers and states. It outlines the policy priorities. So the policy framework is in place. The second big achievement, I would say, is we've, we've launched a range of different initiatives, all of them at different levels to achieve these goals. So one, we've created new kinds of strategic partnerships with different ministries because skill development is a sector which cuts across sectors and departments. So the ministry has gone and set up partnerships in a number of sectors. We've reached out to industry so that we create employment linkages. Those linkages are now in place. So there's a framework in place for people who are trained to get jobs and we're, we're trying to bridge that connect. So that's been another big achievement. Mm. And the third major achievement, I feel, is also in creating the National Skills Qualification Framework, a framework to measure and assess at which level a young person is. It creates a certain kind of skills ladder. So, so I think this skills qualification framework is, is a very useful tool to measure the skills young people have. This is being operationalized across the country. And the reason why this is important is because it provides a system to recognize and value the skills that people have. And the last one point that I do want to mention is that the Indian economy is very different in the way it's structured when you look at other countries. For example, 93% of India's um, economy work 
in the unorganized sector, the 97, 3% of the Indian workforce work in the unorganized sector. So this is really important because these are young people who are maybe highly skilled, but they don't have the certificates and the pieces of paper to demonstrate the skills they have. So how do you recognize their skills? And the government has, for the first time, launched a recognition of prior learning initiative to recognize and certify the skills of workers in the informal sector and align it with the national skills qualification framework. So street food vendors, the gardeners in Rashtrapati Bhavan have all been certified through the scheme. So I think that these are small but very important uh, achievements. Right, yeah. So in terms of the overall policy vision and in terms of the, the development of a framework, there's been some really very positive developments. Yes. But if we turn to what's going on on the ground, uh, obviously to achieve these these huge targets, 400 million by 2022, uh, uh, that we'd need to rapidly expand the number of institutes that are that are there. But one of the problems is that the institutes that are there on the ground are often, you know, poorly resourced. Often the teachers don't have um, adequate training themselves. Uh, you know, often uh, the syllabus is outdated. So, what do you think can be done to improve the quality of the industrial training institutes that are actually already there? Right. I think um, if you go to India today, what we see is. Um, we see every single kind of training center from the the ones of not very good quality to those of the highest quality. So there are islands of excellence which are on par with some of the centers I've seen in Australia over the past few days. But yes, there are some of the industrial training institutes where the curriculum is uh, has not been upgraded for a while. The quality of the trainers aren't, go aren't very good simply because they may not have worked in industry. So there are those challenges. So I would say that the the current ecosystem is very diverse. There are good centers and centers that are not, not so good. But having said that, I, I believe a lot has also been done to improve these centers. And uh, just to give you a couple of examples, the first is there has been an attempt to create industry partnerships because at the end of the day, the industries are those who employ people. And unless the training offered aligns with the requirements of industry, it's impossible for a person from a training center to get a job. That's been the challenge in some of the ITIs, not all of them, but in, in some of them. So having this industry connect between industrial large corporations and ITIs has been a very useful kind of way to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. Industry has been contributed through the, in curriculum design, in training trainers and so on. The second is we've had sector skills councils. These are industry-led bodies, which have also play a very important role in creating standards and norms. And, and these organizations have also played a very proactive role in, in sort of helping upgrade centers. There's been a huge change in the nature of the training center itself. We're creating, in the process of creating centers for excellence, so these are training centers in partnership with corporations, with international sort of organizations, which focus largely on maintaining high quality standards, training of trainers, curriculum development, and employment linkages. And I think these, when once these systems, which are already in place, when they work, they will actually create a new kind of skills ecosystem, very different from the old image of the old kind of ITI. Mm. So you feel that building those industry linkages is actually crucial to improving the quality uh, of the institutes that are there? It is because it directly connects to the key challenge, which is employment and employability. I just also wanted to mention one more, one small point about you know what's been achieved. So we talk about numbers and 
I think there's been a huge focus in the past year and a half on expanding scale. Mm -hmm. So just in the past year or so, we have about 1,141 new ITIs, and there's a plan to expand and grow into 7,000 ITIs. And often a question we get is, how is this possible? Yeah. But I, I would just want to argue that the, the defining feature of skill development in India today is partnerships. I think, and what if you ask me what is different today compared to what was there in the past, I would say the government of India's role is that of a facilitator, actively going out and seeking partnerships with industries, with other training institutions, with universities. And that is, I think, what is needed to really improve the quality and scale of institutions. Now, some of the evidence suggests that even if you give young people these opportunities by expanding you know, the, the amount of skills training that's available, a lot of youth are not particularly interested in vocational training. Um, perhaps they see it as not a very good pathway to upward mobility. Uh, and I think this is where your research is really important. So based on your studies, how are you, young people, how are youth actually engaging with these skills development programs? And do they actually align with their aspirations? I think that is uh, one of the biggest challenges, Trent. Um, the fact that skill training programs are, are not something that young people automatically aspire to. So it is. It's, it's still true that for the average parent in India, they would like to see their child going to the higher education stream or getting some, a kind of professional degree or qualification because vocational training and the vocational skills are not valued in in the public imagination in India. Uh, so I think a lot of my own research in the area of skill development has shown, and this was done at a time when skill training was just starting. It was just an experiment back in 2009, 2010, that there was a disconnect between the aspirations that young people had and their expectations of skill training programs and what they actually got at the end. So in my own research, there were case studies of young people who went through skill training thinking that they would be able to become entrepreneurship entrepreneurs overnight or become industrialists or you know have a, a great career progression pathway uh, because it was a time when skills was really being marketed to young people as a viable career option without having placement linkages in place without having standards or career progression pathways in place and i think that was uh, the challenge at that time mm -hmm. though i would like to say that today the government of india is really making an attempt to align training programs with the aspirations of young people and the aspirations of industry so just want to give you a couple of examples of how that's going on so one example is young people today would like to have a, a career progression pathway and many of them for example dream about working overseas so Recently, the government's launched a new kind of program where the quality, training quality is aligned to international standards so that young people who go through the skills ecosystem can get jobs with companies overseas and can be linked with overseas um, institutes. So there are those kinds of programs as well. So the, the, the short answer really is that in the past, there has been a disconnect. And even today, skills is not a viable, uh, uh, you know, a, a viable uh, career path. But um, going forward, in order to make it a viable career path, it's not only enough to, to market these programs, but it's important to demonstrate that they lead to employability, to sustainable livelihoods, and more importantly, lead, enable young people to live the kinds of life th that they value. Right, yeah. Now, um, India has actively seeked out foreign countries to participate in its skills development 
projects. And, and I think this is something really interesting for us here in Australia. So the UK and Germany have already been very active. What about Australia? Do you think Australia can, can play a role in helping India with these uh, skills development ambitions? Absolutely. Just the kind of scale that we're looking at in India, I don't feel we can do it without partnerships. Partnerships are really crucial. And a lot of countries across the world have invested in skill training for, for about 60 to 80 years. It's been a key component of their public policy program. So rather than reinventing the wheel, I think it's wonderful that India has been very lucky in getting a lot of support from a number of countries in supporting Skill India. I, I must say that at one level, we have been seeking partnerships, but we've been very fortunate that a number of countries have come and offered to collaborate with India in a number of key areas. And yes, we are working with the UK and Germany. And I believe that Australia and India can work very closely uh, you know, in the area of skills training. Just the past, it's, it's my first visit to Australia. And in the past few days, I've had a chance to visit some of the training institutes here. And we've had some wonderful discussions and some wonderful meetings. And personally, I feel there are a number of areas where we can learn from each other and work together. They could be in the areas of for training of trainers and assessors. I think that could be a key area. But I also think India and Australian institutions need to connect. Because when you have a connection between two institutions, it ensures that there's a certain kind of sharing of knowledge, of, of training pedagogy, a certain kind of work culture, and the possibility of new kinds of partnerships, new kinds of employment linkages that can enrich institutions in both countries. So I feel going forward, it'll be wonderful to have those kind of partnerships because it'll help us achieve the kind of goals we're seeing, but it'll also lead to a qualitative change in our ecosystem. Well, Tivya, I really hope you've enjoyed your stay in Australia. It's been fantastic having you on the podcast. I think you've got a really fascinating area of research and we look forward to seeing how all of these uh, skills development projects unfold into the future. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Trent. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, just before we finish, I'd like to flag that skills development is a focus for research at the Australia India Institute. And uh, hopefully by the time this podcast is released, uh, we'll have our skills policy brief, which you should be able to uh, access on our website uh, about how Australia can become more involved in the Skill India project. Um, so do have a look at our website if that's of interest to you. Okay, that's the podcast for today. Bye for now.